Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. We're on the, the B-I-B-L-E series. We come today to this fascinating character named Elijah. And uh, there's actually a tremendous amount of scriptural information about Elijah. And uh, Jesus touches on him in the New Testament. Uh, He's actually mentioned 29 times in the New Testament. So this is a very major character that's referred to often in the New Testament. Always all of the things that occurred in his life, which are absolutely amazing, Miracle after miracle after miracle, uh, Jesus affirms that it's 100% true. Praise God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Uh, As we have this opportunity now today to uh, delve into the life of Elijah, and and we recognize, Lord, uh, what Jesus was teaching about him. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would be speaking to each of us today as well, that we would receive the same messages here that uh, Jesus was teaching about, and that it would be life-changing for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Back in uh, 900 B.C., Israel was going downhill fast. Their king Ahab was one bad dude. He was rotten to the core. In fact, 1 Kings 16.33 says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did any of the kings of Israel before him. And the thing that really aroused the anger of God was the sacrificing of babies. Isn't that interesting? Uh, And much like today, you know, we we watch these commercials over and over and over again on on television where they're basically saying, uh, vote for me uh, and we will keep the killing going. Vote for my opponent and he wants to stop the killing. And it's it's just, uh, I don't think we've ever seen an election where that has been the mainstream message that many of these political candidates are uh, proposing. And uh, it's, uh, don't think that the Lord doesn't see what's going on, okay? You can be assured of that. Now, right by Ahab's side, egging him on was Queen Jezebel, a name that has echoed down through history as a personification of evil. And right by her side, was the Gestapo of ancient Israel, 850 false prophets. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. Together, King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and their 850 false prophets, they ruled Israel with an iron fist. And all this happened, here's what's interesting, only 62 years after King Solomon was on the throne. That was the zenith of Israel's power, and oh, how quickly the tide can turn. And yet God is never left without a witness. This is so encouraging for us today. 
right in the midst of this onslaught of evil and all of these babies that were being sacrificed, God raised up the greatest prophet in the history of Israel, a prophet who was mentioned more than any other prophet in the New Testament. 29 times his name was Elijah. It was a name that meant Yahweh is my God. His name also alludes to strength. His Hebrew name can be interpreted as the strength of Yahweh, which fits him to a T. Much, <laughs> for he was the personification of strength. Folks, do we need another Elijah today? Oh, praise God. Like today, for much of Elijah's ministry, he literally stood alone against overwhelming evil. In that sense, Elijah was a forerunner of John the Baptist. He even looked like John. 2 Kings 1.8 tells us he was a wild-looking hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. 1 Kings 17 tells us he ran into the wilderness to escape Ahab and Jezebel, and there by the brook of Kareth, a God sent ravens to feed Elijah. I loved that Bible story when I was a little boy. And now the most important thing about this story to know today it is, is that it is 100% true. And so is every other Bible story about Elijah. And what's amazing about Elijah, his entire life is one miracle after the next. No one other than Jesus himself in the entire Bible saw God move in miraculous ways like Elijah did. You know why this is important for us today? God will not let evil go unanswered. That's a lesson for us. He did not allow this in the age of Ahab and Jezebel. He's not gonna allow it today. Heartland family, I wanna encourage you today that these are days when evil does appear to be advancing on every front in the media, in our government, in our schools, in our entertainment industry. Sometimes it's downright scary, but God will not allow this to go unanswered. He can and will raise up Elijahs in every sphere of influence. Who would have thought that Justice Ginsburg would die only days before the 2020 election and that she would be replaced by Amy Coney Barrett, a lady with steel for a backbone? And who would have thought that Amy would be the decisive vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, something most of us thought we'd never see in our lifetime. Who could have dreamed up such a scenario? In Luke chapter four, Jesus references the prophet Elijah in order to teach the residents of his hometown God works in mysterious ways. And the key to seeing him work, folks, is humility, it really is. And that was something the people of Nazareth were sadly lacking. 
They thought they were a cut above everyone else. They looked down on everyone else. They looked down on all of these people. Jesus references back in verses 18 and 19, the poor and the imprisoned and the blind and the oppressed. Now here's what we need to see today. If we want to see God work in mighty ways today, if we want to see the, to turn the tide of evil, first thing we need to do is get on our knees before God and call out to him. This is hard for us as Americans because we have so much and we're tempted to rely on our money and on our influence and on our education and we think we can buy our way out of any problem or muscle our way out or think our way out and none of these things will work. The Bible says, Zechariah 4, 6, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now to teach this lesson, Jesus references the prophet Elijah. Elijah models this total dependence on God like no one else, and he does it in three ways. You wanna, you wanna be totally dependent on God. First, expect opposition. Second, understand suffering. And third, celebrate grace. Okay? We're going to look at these things one by one. The first way to truly depend on God is to expect opposition. In fact, if you do not have opposition as a Christian, you need to take a look inside <laughs> to see if you're really in the camp. Because Jesus promised us, the Bible promised us, all who are godly will see persecution. Okay? Verse 24, look at what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Now Jesus is obviously referring to himself here. He's not referring to just any old little old prophet, but he's talking about himself. And initially, notice in this passage, initially Jesus was applauded by his hometown. In fact, verse 22 says they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And yet this amazement was also tinged with doubts. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. You see, back in verses 18 and 19, they knew that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, but how can this be? According to John 7, 27, the popular belief in Israel at that time was that the Messiah would come out of nowhere and lead Israel to greatness, military greatness. But they said to themselves, now hold it, it's just a second. We know this guy. <laughs> we watched him grow up. And we watched him work in Joseph's carpenter shop. How can Jesus, little Jesus, the one we ruffled his hair, how can he be the Messiah? And if he is a Messiah, he should be doing miracles for us, just like he did over in Capernaum. So they, they rejected him, just like they rejected Elijah. You realize that the hardest thing for Elijah wasn't the opposition he faced from Ahab and Jezebel, and it wasn't the opposition he faced from the prophets of Baal. You know what the hardest thing was? the opposition he faced from his own people. 
That's always hardest, isn't it? 1 Kings 19.10, Elijah complains to God, the Israelites, my people, have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. <clears throat> Can you feel for him? Have you ever stood alone, all by your lonesome, no shoulder to cry on, no companion to talk things through with? That's the way that Elijah felt, and he did what we often do. He had a pity party. You ever have a pity party? I've had a few. I'm all alone, Lord. Place is going to the dogs, Lord. Everybody else is wimping out. They're all cowards, Lord. I'm the only good guy left. That's what he was saying. You know what God said to Elijah? God said, not true, Elijah. He said, there are 7,000. 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Think about what that means. God knows the exact number of those who are truly his. And, and he knows those who aren't. That's hidden from us. It was hidden from Elijah. He didn't know there was 7,000 faithful warriors for the king of kings in Israel. In fact, in the words of author Natasha Crane, these 7,000 were faithfully different. That's the title of Natasha's newest book, which she subtitled, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture. The biblical worldview, folks, it's under siege today. The secular worldview is making inroads among us because it appeals to our fallen nature. We all want to be the captain of our own ship and the master of our own fate. That's why Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, in contrast to that, here's what the world's saying. Okay, Jesus is saying, deny yourself. Beyonce, the singer, says, I only have to follow my heart and concentrate on what I want to say to the world. And then she says this, I run my world. Singer Beyonce. Actor Eric Mabius says, you have to follow your heart. Otherwise, you're living a lie. How many times do we hear that? Singer Paula Abdul says, break the rules, stand apart, ignore your head, and follow your heart. Follow your heart, Paula says. Natasha Crane, she says that there are four messages that our culture is constantly sending to us, and they're doing it in umpteen different ways, and the first lie that they're sending to us is that your feelings are your ultimate guide. Folks, that's heresy. That is not true. Second, the culture is telling us that your happiness is your ultimate goal. That's not true. That's not true. We're put on this earth for the glory of God. Okay? 
Third, our culture is constantly telling us that judging is your ultimate sin. Boy, do you hear that today? Huh? It's not true. It's not true. The scripture, okay, tells us what to judge. It tells us what to discern, how to discern things. And then the fourth thing the culture is constantly telling us is that God is your ultimate guess. Who's God? And who are you to say who God is? Right? That's what the world wants you to think, that no one really knows what God is like. And who are you as Christians to tell us that your Bible is right and everything else is wrong? And let's be clear, folks, that is exactly what we are saying, okay? On Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. They are right, this is exactly what we're saying, okay? So it is a great question for them to ask, and we better have a good answer. Okay? Folks, that's why I'm doing this whole sermon series. Is this book worth following or not? Is it credible or not? Okay? Everything hinges on that. The Bible's not true. You take your last breath, and it's a roll of the dice. Okay? If the Bible is true, we're going to be in good shape. We're going to be in good shape. Okay? We have good reasons. I want you to know that, this whole series about that. Good reasons for believing the Bible is true. Here's a quote from Jesus. For truly I tell you, Jesus said, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Okay? Jesus said it's true down to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. That's, that's basically what he's saying. The smallest letter, least stroke of a pen. It's entirely true. The same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, lived for 33 years, died on a Roman cross, rose from the dead on the third day, appeared to over 500 witnesses on 11 different occasions before ascending into heaven 40 days later. That same Jesus accepted every single word of his Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, as 100% correct down to the crossing of the T and the dotting of the I. And if you believe that today, folks, you're going to be swimming upstream against our culture. Okay? There will be opposition. You need to expect it. Jesus experienced even it from his hometown. The same was true of Elijah. And the same is true today. Recently, Sue and I were watching a sermon on YouTube and we happened to stumble across a video by Abraham Piper. And I remember looking at that and thinking, I know that name, okay? I know that name. 
He is the son of one of my heroes, John Piper, Pastor John Piper, down, uh, longtime pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church. And I learned later that this video that we stumbled across was one of 300 videos that Abraham Piper has posted, all of them lambasting his own father, lambasting the gospel he preaches, and Abraham calls evangelicalism, quote, a destructive, narrow-minded worldview. Okay? How would you like to have, for, have that for a son? Can you imagine the pain that brings to Pastor John? When I saw this video, I was rem immediately reminded of a prayer summit I participated in up at Camp Shamana about 20 years ago. There were 67 pastors from all a whole spectrum of denominations and uh, from the metro area, we were gathered together up at Camp Shamina for three days of prayer. And one of those afternoons, we were praying in Ocala, and uh, Pastor John was up there, and we had this chair up there, you know, and uh, whoever wanted prayer would come up to the chair, and we would gather around and pray for them. And I remember Pastor John Piper, you know, this famous pastor, and a man I lo so looked up to. And he comes up to the chair, and he's weeping. And he's talking about his four sons. And he said, one of them has just broken my heart. And I, I can't recall who it was, but it probably was Abraham. And we gathered around Pastor John, fellow pastors, and we poured out our hearts, and we claimed his son for the kingdom of God and while we were doing that, others started chiming in. I've got a son who's walked away. I've got a daughter that well, I don't know where she's at. And we started chiming in, and pretty soon we were all, you know, choking up and, and weeping and praying for the prodigals. Folks, you have a prodigal in your family? Let me tell you, the pastors are right there with you. Okay, we see this firsthand, and it's heartbreaking. Some opposition is especially hard. When it's close, man, it hurts. When you feel betrayed by a spouse, a child, a parent, a close friend, it's hard. But it is part of our journey on this earth, and Jesus warns us we have to expect it. There will be opposition. Now let's move to the second way to truly depend on God. Folks, we do have to understand suffering. There will be suffering on this earth. Verse 25, Jesus says this to the people of Nazareth. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. He's talking about these widows in Israel that are absorbing the consequences of a wicked king. Okay? They didn't do anything. Their king did it. You see, the reason for this three-year famine was clear. King Ahab, Queen Isabel, uh, Jezebel, built a temple for Baal in Samaria, and they set up an altar for Baal in that temple. Baal was a fertility god, the supreme god of Canaan. It was believed that Baal enabled the earth to produce crops, and people to produce children. The worship of Baal often devolved into one big sexual orgy, okay? 
and it frequently led to the human sacrifice of one's firstborn child. In a nutshell, it was evil incarnate, and Ahab and Jezebel are leading the way. Folks, do we have any politicians that are doing that today? Folks, that's an abomination to God. We have to see this clearly. They're running their TV commercials right now. But folks, get this also. No one forced the people of Israel to follow their king and queen. Do you realize that? They did it of their own free will. This may have angered God more than anything else because God had given the people of Israel fair warning. Deuteronomy 11, the Bible says this, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them and then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will not yield its produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. Make no mistake about it, the famine that fell on Israel for three and a half years was a result of God's discipline on his people. After all, Hebrews 12 says this, the Lord disciplines disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father. Verse 11 goes on to say, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God intended this famine to drive them back to God. And the famine did not end until the prophets of Baal were defeated. Remember when Elijah did that? And the people acknowledged Yahweh is our true God. Today the same thing is true for God's people. You know what? When we sin, God spanks us. And he does it for a reason. (laughs) I've felt this myself many times. I have felt the Lord's discipline. 90% of the time, Pastor Denny, the root of my sin is pride. Thinking I can do it myself. It can manifest as a harsh word. It can manifest as a bitter thought. But the root is almost always pride. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And yet here's something very important for us to understand, friends. God's discipline does not explain all suffering. Okay? This is very important to understand. Jesus alludes to this by pointing out that there were many widows in Israel that were suffering, and they did nothing to cause the famine. Okay? Undoubtedly, some of them were among the 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. They were faithful. And yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. And you know what? We're not told why that was the case. Why did the Lord not send Elijah to rescue his own people? Why did he send him to another people? We don't know. The same is true today. We're not always given the reason we suffer. I remember when my, one of my heroes, Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, great man of God, that's crew today. Thousands of missionaries 
have gone up under his umbrella. I remember when Bill was dying of pulmonary fibrosis. It was a disease where you eventually suffocate to death. And I thought, God, why did you give this man such an awful disease? And yet, as Bill sat at home with his oxygen tank, he said, quote, I view dying as truly one of the great experiences of life. I thought to myself, Bill, how do you do that? (laughs) Bill says, adversity is not something to be feared. It is something to be embraced. You know, Bill taught us how to die. That was his last gift to us. Bill Bright embodies the teaching of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We are not always told why we suffer. You know what, Pastor Denny, I'm right there with you. I want to know why. (laughs) And I get frustrated when I don't know why. I don't know why Playboy founder Hugh Hefner dies at the ripe old age of 91, dies of natural causes. Old Hugh paid $75,000 to be buried next to Marilyn Monroe. Can you imagine that? He said spending eternity next to Marilyn is worth it. Goodness sakes, what a goofball. And yet, (laughs) I tell you today, folks, I can guarantee you this. He isn't next to Maryland right now, okay? The Bible says God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. If you want to live a life of dependence upon God, you have to understand what the Bible teaches about suffering. Sometimes God disciplines us because of sin, but other times the reasons are hidden from us. And yet we are given a promise. 1 Peter 4.19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Praise God. We come now to our third way to truly depend upon God, and that is to celebrate grace. Verse 25, Jesus tells his hometown crowd that uh, there are many widows in Elijah's day who were suffering from the famine, and yet they were passed over. Verse 26, Jesus said, Then Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow and far-off Zarephath in the region of Sidon. You know what? The moment he said that, the crowd started going crazy. We don't like this. They hated the Sidonians. The land of Sidon was the home of the wicked queen Jezebel. It had a well-deserved reputation of being evil to the core. The Sidonians were also worshipers of Baal. They were worshipers of Asherah. They were ones who sacrificed their babies. The people of Nazareth thought they were far superior to the wicked Sidonians, which is why Jesus told this story. (laughs) Jesus told this story to celebrate the wonder of God's grace. To all of us, 
We're going to do that next, next Sunday, next weekend. We're going to do this. You know, We're going to celebrate the wonder of God's grace in reaching the nations, reaching people who do not look like us. Can we celebrate that? Yeah, we should, absolutely. Instead of just saying, hey, God, what about me? Uh, you know, we're going to get our minds off of self for a weekend, and we're going to think about all these people groups all over the world that our precious Savior wants to save, okay? Jesus told this story to celebrate the wonder of God's grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. None of us deserve it. We don't deserve it in America. They don't deserve it over in Saudi Arabia. Okay? Grace is God's unmerited favor. You see, the widow at Zarephath was a nobody. She knew she was a nobody. She didn't choose the God of Israel. The God of Israel chose her. And he sent the prophet Elijah to give her a jar of flour and a jar of oil that would never run out. And then God blessed her again by raising her son, who had died. One of the greatest miracles in the entire Bible. You know what, folks? Grace is worth celebrating. By the time Elijah left, the widow was a full-fledged follower of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, in contrast to the widow of Zarephath, the people of Nazareth rejected the Son of God even though he grew up right in the middle of them. Can you imagine watching Jesus grow up if he grew up right here in Annandale? Hey, they heard him preach. They knew that he had performed mighty miracles over in Maple Lake, over in Capernaum, okay? Grace upon grace upon grace was granted to them, and yet they not only rejected him, they rose up to kill him. You imagine that. Jesus, you did miracles over in Maple Lake. Why aren't you doing them here? That would be the way, you know, they're thinking. The proud people of Nazareth were full of themselves, unwilling to admit their need for a savior. In contrast to the widow of Zarephath, who embraced her poverty and her bondage and blindness and oppression, she was a Gentile, she was a woman, she was a widow, she was the lowest of the low, she knew it. Heartland family is an important lesson for us the very first thing we must do if we wish to come to Christ, you got to take yourself off the throne and you have to make Jesus the king of your life. The Apostle Paul, this brilliant scholar with all the right credentials, put it like this. He said, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that today? I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Can you honestly say that? Paul's, Paul also said this, 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners 
Christ Jesus may display his unlimited patience. How about you? Are you in awe of God's unlimited patience with you? Are you in awe that Jesus would lay down his life for you? Are you in awe that you can have the free gift of eternal life? Friends, grace is worth celebrating. Instead of sneering at God for saving a Sidonian widow, the people of Nazareth should have been rejoicing that the gospel was going forward to the nations around them. Grace is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating when one of us comes to Christ, and it's worth celebrating when one of the Chinese comes to Christ. I close with this. God loves to take the unlikeliest person out there to do his work. And such a person is Pete Higseth, one of the weekend anchors on Fox and Friends. And uh, when, I, uh, when I told my girls that I was reading a book by Pete Higseth, uh, they said, Dad, you realize he's been married three times. You realize that he screwed a lot of things up. Dad, he, and he has seven kids. And, and, he, and he's not even 40 years old, okay? Did all that before he was 40 years old. Needless to say, when I heard that Pete had written a book about educating our kids, uh, that was the book we were looking at, I sort of had some doubts that crossed my mind. He has hardly been a good role model, okay? And then I read Pete's first sentence in his book, The Battle for the American Mind. Our staff is reading through this book right now. There's also a, a series of TV series on Fox Nation called The Miseducation of America. Here's the first sentence in Pete's book. He says, quote, This ambitious project is approached with humility and a full reckoning of human nature. It is my brokenness that brings me to this book. Nothing but the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus affords the sufficiency to undertake such an audacious task. He then goes on to describe himself and his co-author, David Goodwin, like this. He says, quote, We, like everyone else, are failed and fallen vessels. A fallen world and our sinful nature have taken their toll on our lives. We do not approach this weighty topic positioning ourselves as ideal examples of parents or educators, but instead with an appeal to heaven to breathe timeless truths into this earthly work, unquote. That's how he starts his book. And I thought to myself, maybe, <laughs> just maybe, God can actually use Pete Hegseth to deliver a message to America that America desperately needs to hear. Okay? This book is a clarion call to put God back in the center of education, okay? Pete notes that up until 1770, nearly every European nation agreed on one point, that Jesus Christ is the reigning king over the world. Virtually any government document up to that point made reference to the reign of Christ. Nearly every date is preceded by the words, 
in the year of our Lord, not the year of the Lord, in the year of our Lord. In fact, I was looking through some of my uh, grandparents and great-grandparents, you know, some of their documents when they came to America and so forth. Several of them had that wording in there. It would be signed, in the year of our Lord, such and such. Nearly every European flag before 1700 had a Christian symbol on it. You see, folks, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is where we start with a humble acknowledgement that he is God and we're not. Is that true of you today? Are you serving God with humility? Humility. 